curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy, let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Can you sense the friction in the marketplace right now? If you're like me, you realize that there seems to be tremendous opportunity available to those of us who are in the sales game, and yet there's a lot of obstacles in the way in order to try to capitalize on that opportunity. And I think we're suffering a bit and feeling frustrated as a result of that gap that we witnessed between our ability to capitalize on the opportunity and those obstacles. So I wanted to bring in Lisa Manini. Lisa Manini is a human wiring expert, and she's also a best-selling author. Wiring dictates the type of environment in which you're best equipped to thrive and succeed and the kind of environment you prefer to live and work in. And Lisa's really, really adept at trying to bring some of those examples to light. And I thought it would be really, really educational for all of us to spend some time listening to what she has to say, because there's opportunity for us to take advantage of this human wiring and make it work for us in these tense and friction-filled moments. I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and I think there's a lot to be gained by listening. Give it a listen. Our conversation that precluded this interview was one of the most interesting uh, conversations that I've had in a really, really, really long time. And that's going to sound like I'm pandering. But at the same time, it's when someone finds a seam and a gap in what is an apparently homogenous group of uh, situations Mm -hmm. are always very interesting to me. And so when you and I were having this discussion about human wiring, it was like, I've heard this concept discussed previously, but not in this way. Mm-hmm. So that was why I was so interested to bring you onto the show. And then secondarily, we've been talking about this now for probably the last three or four episodes about this idea of there being friction in the marketplace. It's a lot of friction in the marketplace because what the pandemic has done is it's created a lot of gaps, right? So prior to the pandemic, Things were humming and 
there really wasn't much of an opportunity to look for those gaps because we were all just focused on getting orders out the door, making sure that all of the business that we could get our hands on was captured and recorded and invoiced and billed and collected upon. And then pause, big pause, big changes. So as things start to restart again, start to restart again, okay, I guess we'll allow ourselves to get away with that. It's creating these gaps and these seams that we're all as entrepreneurs are witnessing in the economy, which represents opportunity. And yet, on the other hand, because we're not able to get butts in chairs, we're not able to capitalize as well on those opportunities that we sense. And so you sense this incredible amount of friction. And like the major question we're going to talk about today is, and we're going to get to your reasoning why you think this is the case is, but like, why aren't people going back to work in the jobs that they used to do? And you know, depending on where you come out on this spectrum, some people will say, well, the government is giving people too much money, be that as it may, if it is or is not true. You know, there's this childcare and can I reliably go back to what I used to do, not knowing whether or not my kid's going to go to school tomorrow because of a quarantine. Maybe I don't want to go back to a place where I'm being told I have to wear a mask uh, maybe I think that there's an opportunity for me to get a better job than I used to be able to get for before, or maybe I just, I like working from home and I don't want to go back to the office. Mm -hmm. So all of these things have created a tremendous amount of friction. And here's Lisa standing on the mountaintop shouting from the precipice saying, this is about alignment people. It's about alignment. And so how these lost jobs are really playing into people having to reassess what it is that they want to do with their lives. And this notion of human wiring that you've been able to develop, I think in a lot of ways, these things go together hand in hand. So thank you for joining me on the show. That's a really long open. <laughs> but I really thank you. Frame the conversation and give our listeners an understanding of like, you have a tremendous wealth of knowledge. You have this extensive career in corporate America. You know, you and I have talked about this. Like we each have almost a millennium, like a, a whole generation of our lives were dedicated to working in big corporate environments. And we're bringing a lot of the things that we learned during that phase of our careers into this phase of our careers mm-hmm. by virtue of the research that goes along with the experience that we've been able to, uh, to I don't know, enjoy or mm-hmm. suffer or however... <laughs> <laughs> However, you want to frame that. So enjoy is good. Enjoy well, and you know, think about it. Not a lot of people do have successfully navigated both career, both corporate America, and then entrepreneurship. Yeah, the two are so different, and yet there are a number. You you nailed it, Roger. Alignment. You gotta live in alignment, um, and I think you highlighted some important things that I think really hit people that they were confronted with, which is, what do I want for my life? How can I do work that's in alignment with who I am in an environment that has a real, a real mission, right? A real vision um, out in the world. And I think that's what people got disconnected with in their work was, you know, am I working for a company that has a bigger contribution that they're making in the world? People want to be part of something bigger. 
many companies, you know, they have the vision, they have their mission, maybe they have their values. And it was an exercise that they did once and put a nice little poster on the wall. And that's where it stayed. They didn't use those very foundational things, uh, those foundational tools to create their culture, what we call the culture of distinction and a distinctive culture that people are part of. So now what happened is everybody started working virtually or many people did and they got disconnected. Now they started saying, is this where I want to be? And there was no integration of what the uh, company was standing for, what they were really standing for in the world because they never had that before. But the companies that did then were able to go back to their foundational principles and say, this is what we're about. Or in, and in some cases, they realize, you know what, we've got to recreate ourselves. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. And how that's manifested itself in my peer group largely has to do with many of the salespeople in the promotional marketing industry are career salespeople who are in their early to mid, maybe even late 50s. And they lost their jobs. Oh, yeah. Because the stuff that we make is exchanged in person-to-person encounters. So when there's all of these shelter-in-place orders, no more person-to-person encounters means no more promotional marketing items being exchanged. So we have people who had literally spent their entire careers doing one thing and one thing only, Mm. suddenly found themselves out of a job. And what I was able to witness in those conversations that I had with people who were faced with that decision, once they got over the grief and the sadness and the anger, you know, all of the things that go through mourning of the loss of one's career, really boiled down to one sentence, which was roughly, if I'm going to be broke, I might as well do something that I love, Mm. right? And so when we talk about alignment, to me, what I think the pandemic really did is it created a forced alignment opportunity, where previously, there really wasn't much need to do that because I had a job, I was making a decent living, whether or not I really liked what I was doing or not was really unimportant. And there were so much, so many things going on that I just felt like, well, maybe I was too busy to consider some of these other opportunities that might be out there. Or perhaps I hadn't given myself the opportunity to sit in silence and think about mm. What is it that I really want to have be a part of what I do when I go up and get up and do what I do for money on a day in and day out basis? And now we had ample opportunity <laughs> to do that. And so certainly you look at job statistics, you know, the last couple of months, we've seen some pretty uh, staggering statistics of people going back to work. And yet, again, when we get back to this discussion of friction, so many marketplaces are struggling to find the right people to do the work that are necessary. So there's so much within this onion that uh, I think the human wiring aspect has has a, a way of helping bring some clarity to it. But before we kind of get down into that level, talk a little bit about when I say human wiring, like what the heck are we even talking about? Yeah. Right now? Thank you. Um, Yeah, I think it's important to distinguish uh, human wiring because a lot of times people collapse human wiring behaviors and personality, 
right? And so they collapse them all together and, and think that they're one thing. They're actually three distinctions. I, I like to, to uh, have the nurture versus nature conversation. You know, we, you don't behave the same way that you did when you were 18, right? Let's hope not. <laughs> and why? Because of all those things that nurtured you growing up, your education, your parents, your culture, your experiences, all of those things nurtured your behaviors. So you learn to behave a certain way. Uh, your human wiring is part of your nature, um, so as the um, neural pathways in your brain are developing, it's telling me how does this person best uh, create ideas? How does this person process thought? What is the environment in which this person best thrives? And how much certainty or information does this person need for effective decision making? And those can be measured through something called psychometrics. And it's how an assessment is administered that will get to that part of the brain that gives us the natural response to things versus the behavioral response to things. And so we can measure that using psychometrics and get to the natural part of that. And that's kind of what you were talking about, Roger, is when we can, and I often say, when you can work in alignment with who you are innately, it's not work, it's fun. Right. And so when we understand these different distinctions and and uh, then align that to the work we do and when employers do that and they align that person with a job they have available. Now, that is ideal. And why? Because now you've got a person who is doing a job that they are innately wired to do. And that's when you have an amazing mix and it wins for everybody wins in that case. The best way I can uh, describe what you're talking about in a real world situation has to do with a conversation that I had with a family member just this past weekend. She worked in the service industry and ha had a pretty long career doing that. And, you know, a lot of people see service career jobs as sort of like entry level or, you know, you do that until you get, quote, a better job. Mm -hmm. And she's done incredibly well for herself. She's provided for her family. They, they don't hurt for things. She's actually created somewhat of a personal brand when it came to what she was capable of doing to the point that when she would make changes from one employer to another, it was often at the behest of the recruiting employer wanting that brand that she created mm -hmm. to be brought to their place of business as opposed to where that person. So better jobs, better pay, you know, all of the same things that people are looking for when they're making these decisions right now about like, well, you know, I'm going to go do something different than I did before. And mm -hmm. she is incredibly frustrated. Mm. The service job that she had prior to the pandemic is gone. That restaurant shut down. It was a high-end restaurant where she made significant hundreds of dollars every night in gratuities, done really well for herself. And she just, she said to me, she said, you know, I'm not sure that there's anyone else out there that has what I want anymore. And so what I realize now is I still have these same gifts, but I recognize that maybe I need to deliver them in a different way. Right. And 
I don't know what that looks like yet. So I haven't made a choice. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of people that will listen to this right now who may be in a similar situation who haven't even gotten that far that they're saying like, I just know I don't want to do what I used to do. Yes. So how do you use some of what you've learned in research to help? Like, give me some examples of situations that are uh, a reflection of what we're talking about. Beautiful. I love this. Well, you know, this is one of my favorite topics because then the light bulbs go on for people. So there's four major elements. Okay. And you can be anywhere on um, the, the, um, intensity level or the spectrum of any one of these elements. Okay. And through that, you, you have a mix of each one of these elements and it can be a high or low, uh, mix. And so, um, you know, autonomy is the first one. And so if you're higher in autonomy and measure higher in autonomy, I like to create and act on my own ideas. I believe my ideas are the best ideas. And I usually speak in words like I, me, and my. That's a good indicator of that someone is higher in autonomy. If I'm lower in autonomy, I am a natural team player. I like harmony. Um, and I want to... Um, be in that kind of environment. Now, the second element is the communication element, but it really is how people process thought. A lot of times people mistake it for introvert, extrovert. Actually, it's how you process thought. And so when we're talking human wiring, there are some people that naturally love to talk about their ideas. They actually create ideas as they think, as they talk about them. Um, they're what I call my external thinkers. They love face-to-face communication. And what happened in during the pandemic is a lot of times people had to what? Work from home, right? And so people higher in this element that were accustomed to the face-to-face communication then felt very drained because they weren't getting that natural need for face-to-face communication met. People lower in the communication element are what my I call my internal thinkers. They like to think things through. That is their advantage. Um, they like time to think about things. In fact, their best ideas are about an hour after a meeting sure. because they've had time to process them. Now, it doesn't mean that you know everybody talks and everybody thinks, but this is how you process thought and information. The third element is the patience element. So high amount of patience, I like sequence. I like routine. I, that is the kind of environment in which I best thrive. If I'm lower in the patience factor, I like to juggle multiple things. And the fourth element is what we call our certainty element. And so the higher the amount of certainty, the more information that I want, the more structure I want, the less information, the less structure that I want. Now, to your point, or to your question, Roger, there was a a company that uh, was having a high amount of turnover in uh, like their customer service. You know, they would take incoming calls, help the customer. They were having a high amount of turnover in that department. And I said, well, who who are you hiring into that? They said, well, we're hiring those external thinkers who are gonna multitask. And I said, well, what are they doing all day? Well, they're taking incoming phone calls, they're helping the customer, and they're typing on the computer. So we figured we want somebody who can multitask. And so as I'm, they're telling me more about this position, I'm like, well, they're on the phone all day. 
it's pretty routine. People multitask, regardless of how you're wired. They're going to talk on the computer, you know, uh, type on the computer. And I said, the person who's been in this position the longest, how are they wired? Well, we're sure that's the way she's wired. I said, really? I said, well, let's take her, you know, let's, you know, make sure she's assessed and, and take the assessment. And she's, he's like, um, okay. And what they discovered was this person was lower in autonomy, like a team environment, internal thinker. What? They're going to be on the phone all day. Hang on. Higher in the patience factor, which tends to get a little bit more chatty, warm. It's a relationship driver when it's on the high side and high uncertainty. The difference is how you train them. You train them with a script. So if the customer says this, you say this. And over time, because they're used to the, they enjoy the repetition, they learn by repetition, they learn the script and you get the warm and you also get somebody who likes to work in that kind of environment. They went from 99% turnover to zero in three months. <laughs> Smart for them to actually pay attention to what you had to say, huh? <laughs> now, the people that love the face-to-face communication were going into other areas of the company where they could get that met, like more outside sales, right? Face-to-face communication. Well, no wonder they were turning over. That job over there seems more appealing because now I get to have that face-to-face interaction that I innately need. And you can use what's called psychometric uh, words to attract those those, uh, employees. You know, so a lot of times, you know, are you a calm and professional individual who likes you know, with strong follow-up and follow-through skills. Now, certain words, again, these are psychometrics, will ping those people positively. They will see themselves in those words and apply for the jobs. So now you're utilizing, from a strategic standpoint, you're utilizing your investment in advertisements in a more effective way to attract those ideal client or ideal uh, employees into your positions And then they perform those functions at a much higher level because they're innately wired to execute the job in the way that the job needs to be executed. I'm thinking about my own career as I'm listening to you talk about this. I worked in team environments, highly collaborative, very much a team player, always have been. And ultimately, as is often the case with many of us, someone else made a decision for me with respect to my participation in that particular team. And I realized in that period of time, which I think many people are faced with a similar choice right now is this is a forced decision-making period. But what I learned in that period of time was I'm highly collaborative, but I'm also very, very strong-willed. And so I needed to be the person to be the leader of the team, Mm. not necessarily the collaborator, he or himself, because if those ideas were against the person's ideas who were leading the organization, that's where the friction would get created. And so I think there's many people who are sitting in chairs right now who are listening to this saying to themselves like, okay, well, yes, I kind of understand this, but I'm not entirely sure given my current situation, like, is that a personality test? Is that, is this a behavioral test? So like how does psychometrics 
compare and contrast to some of those other things that people may be more familiar with? Yeah, because, and they're good and valuable tools, right? Like everybody's really familiar with DISC, right? DISC is a behavior-based tool because of the way that a, an assessment is administered. So it's going to um, have more forced choice. You have to force yourself into one of three or four selections and gets more behavior-based and your behaviors change over time. Whereas when you have a psychometric-based, it has more free will where you choose different words and the words are psychometric. So, you know, let me just explain real quickly because words are psychometric, colors are psychometric, smells are psychometric. So if you've ever gone into a department store, when we could, <laughs> you've gone to the cologne counter, you smell it, you love it, you pass it on to your person you're with and they're repulsed by it. <laughs> That's a psychometric. You automatically respond to that psychometric. So words, smells, and colors are psychometrics. And so we can, the way the assessment, so a free will allows you to check any words based on two questions. And then you have your um, algorithms that give you your profile. And so by that, we can then tell, okay, this is the environment in which you best thrive. Either I have a job and I'm wanting to leave or I haven't gone back to what I used to do because I'm on my way to whatever my next thing is going to be. Mm. Would there be clues that I might look for in what when I'm out, you know, actively searching? Absolutely. Could help Absolutely. Me my, my this quest for alignment that we're trying to get people to go on. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, really, you always want to start with yourself in what you need, right? And so really taking, you know, taking time to really understand yourself. That's number one, and what you're looking for in your lifestyle, and in what consistently motivates you. And so for example, if you know that you know what, I am higher in autonomy and I like to create and act on my own ideas. Um, I like my ideas best. And, and you know that about yourself. You want, want to make sure that if you're going in for an interview and you ask, okay, uh, tell me about this. Start asking the questions to the company. You know, I know I like to create and act on my own ideas. That is the environment in which I best thrive. How do you like ideas. How are ideas exchanged in the organization? Is there a lot of autonomy or is there more follow-up and follow-through? What's the culture like in this organization? And now you can better have questions that you can ask the person that you're interviewing with because a lot of times people think, you know, Roger, that interviews go one way. They always think, oh, the company and then I'm just the interviewee. No, this is just as much a part of what you're wanting out of your career as it is the employer to see if there's a fit there. And so it really does go both ways, but I think sometimes people lose their power in that and they think, oh, this is only going one way. No, it's going both ways. And ask the, ask the questions to make sure that there is a good fit. I won't belabor the point on the employee side only because the st statistics are proving that people are at least, if it's not for this reason, for maybe some of the other reasons that we talked about at the open of the show, they've not made this decision on what they want their futures to look like. I think that part of this is on the employer and it has much to do with the way they write their job descriptions. Oh, yeah. 
So let's yeah. talk about, like, so if I'm on the flip side of this, if I'm the potential employer yeah. and I really am trying to attract people and I'm struggling, what might be some of the changes that you would recommend to them to try to solve that problem? First of all, really understand that uh, you've got to put some thought into what is it that you really need? As an organization, just because you have an opening, does that mean you should fill that opening? Or is it an opportunity to redesign your organization based on the pivoting that you may have done with the organization? And so number one, really take a look at that. Number two, if that is the, the position, is the position still the same? Are, have there been changes that that position will now be responsible for that may actually change the elements in who you're looking for from a hardwiring standpoint, from a wiring standpoint? And so, for example, you know, what are the major metrics that this person will be responsible for? Do they need to increase sales X percent in 90 days? Or is it a type of position that's going to require somebody to create long-term relationships? Because re realist, or is it a you know, brand new division where you're trying to get things done very quickly? You know, based on that information, you may decide that, hey, we need a very different person. The next person for this needs to be wired completely differently. But you've really got to start with understanding what are the key things that this person's going to be responsible for? What are the key tasks? So then now you can determine the best wiring to align with that position. All right. This is a podcast about sales. I would be remiss in letting you go without having some conversation about how this concept plays out in sales. Where, where do you see this really uh, showing its, its head in the sales game? All the time. <laughs> um, I like to tell... Um, a few stories, uh, but um, it's going to be present all the time. And, and I'll give one very simple, but something that I see happens all the time. Now, not always, but sometimes you have salespeople that love that face-to-face -face interaction. That's what draws them to sales. And they meet up with someone very opposite, someone that is more of an internal thinker. And so what happens is as that salesperson is talking, their, their prospect might be giving them what's called the blank processing stare. So what happens is instinctually they keep talking. They keep talking and they keep talking. That's not what the person needs. The person actually needs when you see that blank stare to be silent because they're processing everything that you're saying. And then you interrupt their thought when you keep talking. Even though uh, what you need to be is just be silent and give them time to process. I've seen more times that salespeople have talked themselves out of the sale when in fact all they needed to do was be silent. Enough to have that person respond, process the information, um, and turn what would have been a no into a yes, simply by being silent. The beautiful part about all of this is that for all of you who might be thinking about this as you're listening to what we're talking about and wondering like, well, how do I figure this stuff out? I know this woman named Lisa and she's <laughs> wrote a book 
and she's done an assessment and she has all of these amazing tools that you can use to help you figure this stuff out for yourself. So Lisa, how can people find some of what it is that you've done that will be able to be of assistance to them? Yeah, so they can go to my website, accelerateassociates.com forward slash hardwiring, and they'll find a lot of different resources. Um, also accelerateassociates.com. Um, my book is on there um, that um, identifies each of the hardwiring elements. Um, talks more about that and just some keys to remember and, and notice when you're talking to people so that when you deliver communication, you deliver it the way they want to receive it, which is the highest form of honoring the other person. Well, there you have it. Lisa brought the goods. Psychometrics is the word of the day. This is not a behavior test. This is not personality testing. This is words, sounds, smells and colors, things that are tangible that people react to when given the opportunity. And I hope that you got some value out of that discussion. If anybody else that you know would benefit from hearing what Lisa had to say, please share this episode around with them and continue to listen to future episodes of the program. Subscribe, like it, offer your opinions, and continue to be a part of our community of salespeople who are all striving to get better each and every day. I'm looking forward to our next episode, but until then, this is Roger signing off.